0: Um, welcome. Um, today I've got with me um, Ingrid um, from the University of Edinburgh uh, Hospital. Um, she's a researcher uh, in a rather specialised subject um, to do with the bladder. Um, so, with all of that, I'm now going to let Ingrid introduce herself.
1: So, um, hi, my name is Ingrid Herzer and um, I'm currently working um, with John Stone and, um, and Alan Carson at the University of Edinburgh. And basically, um, I'm a neurologist and um, I did my undergraduate training in Queen's University in Belfast and then a year of psychology at University of College London. Um, and I really became interested in functional neurological disorders through seeing patients on the wards. And um, I'm really just sort of starting to understand a little bit about sort of patient journey. Um, and what particularly fascinated me was then I found clinically that a lot of people actually had bladder symptoms which hadn't been investigated before but which could play a really major part in um, what was part of the more, most distressing symptoms um, of their uh, associated with their functional neurological disorder. Um, and um, my area research of research started whenever I went to Queen Square and um, what we did was we looked at patients that have got something called Fowler syndrome which is where there's urinary retention and um, And um, we wanted to see how many of these patients had functional neurological disorders. And we found that almost a quarter had a functional neurological disorder and about 50% of them actually had chronic pain. And and these are patients that, as I said, sort of have urinary retention where they're unable to pass urine. And just stop for a brief second here because as usual, I skipped ahead. I'll tell you a little bit about the kinds of, different kinds of bladder symptoms that we have. So we've got storage symptoms, which are things like, of having to pass urine a lot of the time, sort of having to pass urine immediately, sort of needing to pee. Um, um, and, uh, and then also whenever you can't quite make it, so being actually incontinent. Urine. So those are, those are storage symptoms. And then there are also voiding symptoms. So these are things like where you have to really strain to pee or um, where it's sort of stopping and starting, or in fact, where you go completely into retention, which is where you just can't pee at all. And so those are the, so the storage and voiding symptoms. And, and what we were particularly interested in was sort of how many patients with functional neurological disorders have voiding symptoms and particularly sort of urinary retention. And that is because there's a muscle, the external urethral sphincter, which is just the bottom where, you're, where the bladder kind of outlet comes out to actually pass out the urine. And that is um, a skeletal muscle. So, and um, so... Uh, so what can happen is whenever it becomes very tensed up, then then the person then can't pee. And um, we had some examples of that with patients whenever we had the, the webinar. Um, and also what happens is whenever that filter becomes very tensed up, then actually it can um, send a message back up to the brain as well, which increases up the ability of the bladder to hold another 100 mils or so of urine. Um, so. Uh, I also wrote a book chapter looking at the interaction between bladder disorders and functional neurological disorders. And what I really would say is my research and all the research that's currently out there is really just at the very preliminary stages. So we're really just starting to understand what a big problem this is and also sort of starting to understand a little more about the kind of symptoms patients have and how much they're affecting their lives. And So um, until recently, there was just one study looking at patients that had functional movement disorders um, and in fact any sort of functional neurological disorder to see how many of them had bladder dysfunction um, and they found that 20% of them had bladder symptoms and we've done something similar where we looked at all the patients coming to the neurology department and we find that patients that have a functional neurological disorder were significantly more likely to have difficulty with avoiding symptoms, so not being able to pee or difficulty with passing it out or having to strain and than other patients with other neurological disorders. And, and so my, the major part of my PhD is looking at patients that present with what's called sort of clinical cauda syndrome. And what this is, is bladder, bowel or sexual dysfunction, which comes on acutely, often accompanied by pain. Um, and uh, what I find is that, so we did a, a retrospective review where I looked back at 277 patients that had presented in this manner. Mm-hmm. We find that 70% of patients have negative scans um, or scans that, that don't fully explain their symptoms. About half of those patients have got a nerve that's trapped that is certainly probably causing a significant pain that doesn't fully explain their bladder symptoms. And we also find that, so in this group, we find that patients that have got negative or normal scans um, have a higher rate of functional neurological disorders and there's also similar rates of bladder dysfunction on follow-up. Um, so what I'm now doing is I'm finishing up looking at uh, a large group of about 200 patients. I saw All of them myself and about half of them have got um, this, this negative scan and the other half have a disc compressing the nerve roots which explain the symptoms. So what we're trying to do is how many of the patients that have got the negative scan have functional neurological disorder and how many of those patients have new onset of bladder symptoms or how many of them have had pre-existing bladder symptoms. It's just a way to kind of drill down and find out a little bit more about, um, about bladder symptoms in patients with functional disorders. But that's currently where I am at the minute.
0: Okay, and, and, and interestingly, that, um, that examination of, of, in terms of the research, are you seeing... Um, that the, the strength of the symptoms is the same whether there is a, a physical cause like a disc pressing or, or you know, the scans are clear, are the symptoms still the same uh, in the way that they present themselves?
1: Yes, yeah, they really are exactly the same. And actually, I mean, so that there's a, there are a lot of very significant and very unpleasant bladder symptoms in the, in the, in the scan negative group and that's why we're trying to work out what's actually wrong with those patients because there's obviously something going on and whether or not it is pain or medication or a functional neurological disorder that's driving this or in fact one in three women have uh, have some kind of incontinence Um, and 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 we want to know just really kind of is it just that these things are then exacerbated by the pain and by these other kind of things and by things like medications so we're trying to work out exactly what it is sort of tease apart the different mechanisms as to why these bladder symptoms happen. But exactly as you said, patients tend to have exactly the same symptoms, whether or not they have a big disc pressing on those nerve roots, or whether in fact their scan is totally normal um, or whether they've got a nerve root that is being pressed on.
0: And, and we know that there's, there's a higher prevalence of, of FND symptoms generally um, within women more so than, than men. Um, but in the in the population where you've identified um, a functional neurological disorder, how's the split between men and women there?
1: That's a good question. I mean, so I think what I would say as well is there are different there are different sp- splits depending on on also what kinds of functional disorders. So things like um, movement disorders, particularly sort of spinal myoclonus, and these other kinds of things, are, are tend to happen more frequently or as frequently kind of in, in men and women but there are certainly things like dissociative seizures and things that happen more commonly in, in, in females than males and in, in our group what we find is that so um, in looking at the, the disc population it's about 50-50 men and female and looking at the, the patients that have got um, that don't have the disc pressing it's about probably maybe 60 or 70 percent female to 30 or 40 percent male
0: okay yeah,
1: so there's slightly higher prevalence but it's, it's not quite
0: um... yeah yeah and and in um in the research that you've done has there been any any uh, trend that you're noticing in terms of um diagnosis because obviously this is not a a, a new uh, situation um uh, particularly for, for women anyway um, and I guess what we've seen is that this is a, as a cross between neurologists, neurology. Um, how, how easy is it for patients to, to get a diagnosis um, where it is relating to FND? Um, is it generally because they've already been diagnosed with FND, therefore the neurologist is pinpointing and saying, well, the problem with your bladder is down to your FND?
1: I I think we're still at the point where we're not totally sure. Um, So as I said, it's really, we're in the sort of preliminary stages of understanding the relationship between bladder dysfunction and functional neural and and FND. And and at the moment, um, I think that patients still need a workup to work out sort of what exactly is going on. So some patients, you're coughing and sneezing or running and you're finding that you're dribbling urine and that's, that's probably stress incontinence. Um, and and there are excellent sort of physiotherapy guidelines and also there's a very good NHS app called Squeezy. Um, so if you're interested please do download that it's very very useful. Um, and and 80% of the time um, pelvic floor exercises that you can do yourself actually can can re- um, uh, can treat that um, very well. And there are other things sort of urge urinary incontinence and, and these other problems with sort of with bladder and, and just really difficulty peeing and things like that and often then you need to see a gynaecologist or a urologist to sort of check that out. Um, I My feeling is that I'm hoping that kind of in a few years time that we'll understand a lot more about this and that also we'll have kind of the data to back up exactly what's happening um, and and um, And and at the minute, I think that we we don't have that. And so probably what's happening is that patients are coming and then being assessed by urology or gynecology or neurology and and then getting a diagnosis that way. Or sometimes, in fact, actually, once you take away some of these um, high dose of medications and once you get pain under control, actually, sometimes that also allows the bladder to start to function again. And, What we think happens is, so we know that in in stress incontinence, what happens is that the urethra is lying on the pelvic floor, which is just a a muscle, kind of like a sling. And whenever you cough or sneeze, what happens is, so normally the intra-abdominal pressure increases, but the pelvic floor can contract to stop that from falling open and urine coming out. And then someone that's got sort of a weak pelvic floor, what will happen is whenever that pressure increases, the muscles just sort of go down and you lose a little bit of urine. Um, and we think that what's happening in pain then is kind of the opposite of that. So what's happened is if, if you have very, very bad sort of muscle spasm all the way around your back and down, sometimes to the back of your knees as well, and what you'll find then is sometimes the pelvic floor will actually just be pushing up. So you find it very, very difficult to relax that. And when a, a patients come into hospitals, sort of, and I've seen once, they have, once we're on top of the pain, then actually then their pelvic floor tends to relax and then they tend to be able to actually kind of use their bladder again. Um, and the other thing as well, as obviously, is medications. And I think we'd, we'd had a chat about this during the webinar as well. And obviously, so pain is incredibly important to treat um, in terms of just really allowing people to get on with their lives. Um, but there are some medications, particularly opiates, Um, very high doses of gabapentin and these other and diazepam and that really uh, if people are finding that they're having bladder problems they should just have a think about whether or not their pain is any better on current medications than it was before they started the medications. And If the answer is that the pain is the same now as it was before they started the medications and they're getting these bladder symptoms potentially from it and they may also be getting constipation from it then it's time just to have another think about not saying people should rush out and throw everything down the toilet or anything like that. I'm just saying have a think about whether or not these medications are helping you or whether or not you feel just the same. Because some things, particularly as I've said, opiates, high dose gabapentin and diazepam can really affect the bladder. And so um, we talked about this the last time in terms of just really can be very helpful if you're thinking that those things might be affecting the bladder to go and see your GP and they're very sensitive. They can talk you through how to reduce down medications and just see whether or not that, that affects the bladder as well and that improves things.
0: Yeah. I mean we, we, we certainly got some, some feedback from the webinar last week um, with people suffering a lot of pain. Um, and obviously controlling pain is, is a big yes. part of, of FND exactly. where yeah. where the medication comes in. Um, but I I think one of the one of the Key, the key areas of guidance I think that we can possibly give people is where they are experiencing serious pain, then they need to go and, and see somebody about that, um, be that a urologist, but go to their GP first of all yeah. to, to get an understanding of what's going on there. Definitely. The other topic that, that certainly came up was um, the, the duration and we had people who had, had suffered um, issues with the bladder for a, for a long period of time, or it had gone away and then was coming back. Has there been anything in the research that you've, you've seen so far that is highlighting any type of trends that would help understand why that would be the case?
1: Well, that's an excellent question. I don't I haven't analyzed the prospective data well enough to be able to to, under, to be able to sort of to really sort of tease that out yet. And um, in terms of the retrospective data, certainly some people have presented with an episode of urinary retention where they couldn't be at all. And then it's gone away. And then they've represented with another episode of urinary retention. And often those things are triggered by pain or surgery or um, new medications or um, childbirth, these kind of things. And, um, and I, I think that there, for, certainly for some people, there are, there are going to be triggers that will bring back urological symptoms. Um, and I think we're still working to understand exactly what's going on there and how that, why, that, why that's developing.
0: Yeah. And that will be the same for any other symptoms that, that people typically experience with FND. The reasons are, I guess they're going to be the, the same. If the tremors suddenly come back after they've been disappeared for quite some time, there'll be a trigger behind that. I guess it's the same with what you're seeing with the bladder problems.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and the next question that I wanted to, to put to you um, was in terms of Treatment options, um, I, again, from within our own patient groups, we we do know of people that have had quite invasive treatment, you know, catheterization, um, you know, that is basically permanent uh, because it's the only way that they can have their bladder emptied, um, which is obviously very distressing um, as a whole. You know, it's painful. But, but what have you seen in terms of... Um, Treatment outcomes um, or better types of treatment.
1: Well, again, I'm afraid to say that we're just really at the preliminary parts of this, and I think um, to be able to to properly treat something, we first need to understand sort of what the scale of it is, and then and then and then what we think the mechanisms behind it are, and then we can kind of try to tailor therapy to that. Certainly, biofeedback and physiotherapists. Um, in in the Western have been have been very helpful in the patients that I've seen, um, but this is still sort of really sort of pretty new territory. And I I mean I fully understand patients sort of being very upset by things like catheters and um, and sometimes intermittent self catheterization can be can be um, really quite difficult. And I think the thing is that so the urology nurses and the urologists will will have dealt with these things for other patients as well. So things like when I did an, another sort of smaller studies um, of just of patients that had got urinary retention in, and some of them were telling me that, that they found almost that they were sort of going to red alert. They didn't necessarily feel panicked but they just their heart was beating very fast, they felt very sweaty, they just felt really horrible and unpleasant, kind of there but not there. And, and some, sometimes patients felt really panicked with that and sometimes they just felt really horrible. And, and actually kind of relaxation techniques and kind of desensitization techniques can, can be very helpful in those kind of, in, in if, if that's the kind of, of, of reaction that someone's having to having to catheterize themselves. Um, and and like i said i mean um, so we're in touch with the with the local physiotherapist and um, actually on, on twitter somebody had contacted me to say um, that that somebody within her local region was working with with patients with fnd and had had really good outcomes so i'm going to make contact with her and find out what mechanisms that they're using as well um, and i know that in queen square as well they've been quite keen to try to use other forms of of less invasive therapy, and um, kind of like again, sort of probably mostly focusing on on biofeedback and neurophysiotherapy, and these same sort of types of of, of principles that that, that that the physiotherapists working with FND patients are using at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, and um, I, I guess a lot a lot of um, symptoms that are experienced are. Can be um, dystonic. Um, obviously, any any muscle can be affected by dystonia. And it's one of the one of the very common symptoms within FND. Um, I'm guessing that the bladder is going to be no different in that. You know, general dystonia moving around the body could be affecting the bladder as well. Is is that something that you picked up on?
1: Well, so actually, um, we kind of hit hit the nail on the head. So actually, that's what we think is potentially happening in people where they can't pee at all. So what what we think is that, so it's that skeletal muscle, it's that external urethral sphincter that we think is going into dystonia. So um, we wonder whether or not that can become almost like a fixed dystonia in some patients. And that's why it's so difficult to... And that's why some people end up sort of needing a suprapubic catheter. So put in right actually in the abdomen rather than going in through the urethra. Um, And um, so we wonder whether or not that is what's happening in some patients that have got idiopathic urinary retention and whether or not they have a, a fixed dystonia of that external urethral sphincter. And that is then, that obviously makes it very difficult. Um, to be able to pass urine and also very difficult to try to relax that muscle in, enough in order to be able to, to let sort of flow happen. And, and so, yeah, so certainly that's, that's certainly one of the, the main hypotheses about what's going on, really, that whenever people can't pass urine, we think that that muscle is going into spasm and in some people it becomes fully sort of in a fixed stomach posture then, which is why there's this sort of gripping sensation whenever people are trying to catheterize. Um, and and why it can it can be difficult then to catheterize as well. So that, that's a separate thing obviously from the from the feeling of, of it being really unpleasant to catheterize. It's a it's a separate thing if it's actually kind of not going in or there's this gripping sensation. And that seems more like the muscle itself is going into stonic spasm.
0: I know we we spoke a lot about obviously the, the urinary side of things. Um but I guess for for other bowel movements um, the same difficulties are going to be there. It doesn't seem to be as common within our patient communities, is that reflected in the researchers as well?
1: I haven't even, to be honest, I haven't even looked at the bowel data yet and so I'm afraid I I can't say, um, so I'm just gonna say I'm sorry, I'm not sure about that yet, but I do have, that I have bowel, bladder, and sexual dysfunction data, and um, certainly from whenever people were in hospital.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's gonna be a fairly uh, fairly comprehensive study then.
1: I hope so, yeah. I mean, I think these are, there things that are often embarrassing to talk about. And we tend, tend to sort of shy away from them. And I think also doctors shy away from asking patients about them. And I think um, oftentimes, patients don't want to talk about them because you know it's embarrassing and it affects how you feel about yourself and but it, it also can any of those things can massively change your life and your enjoyment of life and you know if you're having to think about where the bathroom is every time you go out and plan your route around time um, and based upon where your where your bathroom breaks are going to be and things like that that's a massive impact on life and and having to wear pads or not being able to pass urine—all of those things—they really affect kind of people deeply. And again, the same with bowels. So, if you get incredibly constipated and you're very sore, or if you've got any leakage, all of those things—they can just massively affect how you feel about yourself and and how easy it is for you to go out and do the things that that kind of bring fulfilment and enjoyment to your life. So, um, so I think bowel bladder and sexual function are all just incredibly important things, and I would encourage people to be open about them and just actually think the more we talk about them the more we normalize them as part of important parts of of our lives the better that understanding and the better hopefully that the treatment will will be for all of these things.
0: Yeah I mean I I think people like you said people are are generally quite quite shy about discussing these these items Um, and I know again From reading our own patient groups, um, sex is a a very difficult subject when you've got FND, um, because your relationship is affected anyway. So there's so many things that are playing a part there. Um, And so I'm I'm not aware of of really people saying particularly what type of dysfunction they, they might experience. But I'm guessing that the type of things would be inability to orgasm, or, or dryness in the case of women or, you know the typical sort of mm-hmm. no, what would they are just sexual dysfunctions that anybody in the population could get because you've got fnd you might be more prevalent uh, towards them um so yeah
1: and i think again i mean so we're still as i said i'm gonna hopefully have have good data on that and then also pain plays a massive part as well in terms of of sexual dysfunction so it can make you not interested in or worried about having sex and these other kind of things and again just all as you said it massively affects how we feel about ourselves and how we how our relationships are and, and all these things so let's bring it out into the light and let's yeah. talk about it let's recognize that it's important and um i know we're all all from the many of us are from the the uk and other places where we might start to blush a little bit but it's I think that's the thing. If we, we all talk about it and just normalize it, then it, it, it just makes it easier for, for not just us, but also the people coming after us.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, it, and it's taking that, that fear away from people going, well, you know, this is not me that's, you know, this is part and parcel of, of, of having FND. It's just another symptom. Um,
1: so as you say, I mean, I, do, I don't I don't think we know that yet. And so I would say, you know, there are there are there are plenty of reasons to have sexual dysfunction. And I think that and um, I think it's in the general population, it's um, pretty terribly talked about, you know, it's just, it's, yeah. just not acknowledged enough. And I think I'm sure in the FND population, it's, it's very similar. OK, Thank you so much. Matt. It's as always a total pleasure.